0: Thank you, Pastor Brandon, and good morning. My name is David Sunday. It's a joy to serve as one of the pastors here and to open God's word to you this morning. We're focusing these first three weeks of 2023 on becoming more like Jesus, thinking like Jesus thought, walking like Jesus walked, loving like Jesus loved, believing like Jesus believed, enduring like Jesus endured, suffering like Jesus suffered, triumphing like Jesus triumphed, becoming like Jesus. It's a great aim as we enter into a new year. But one of the best pieces of advice I've seen about New Year's resolutions comes from Justin Anderson. He says, you should make resolutions but only if they are in the form of habits you want to build rather than outcomes you want to see. That's because we have a lot more control over our actions than we do over outcomes. The best way to get the results you want is to do the same things consistently over time. And we're calling them daily rhythms of grace. Because the kinds of actions that make us more like Jesus aren't brought about by mere willpower. We need God to lead us into this way of life. We need the Holy Spirit to sustain us in these rhythms of grace. So if we want to become more like Christ, what can we learn about his habits? About his daily rhythms of life that will help us imitate his example, and grow into his likeness. Last week, we focused on the outer life of Jesus, his attitude and heart toward people. Now we're going to focus on the inner life of Jesus, the daily rhythms of grace that he practiced that shaped him into the man that he was. And next week's focus will be on Jesus' prayer life. This week, we want to focus on how Jesus interacted with the word of God. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50. This is in the Old Testament before Jesus actually walked on earth. And it's a prophetic passage. And as you're turning there, just think about all the evidence that we have in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to show us that Jesus was a Bible-centered man. He was someone who knew the Scriptures inside and out. You remember when he was 12 years old and his parents were in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And they started on their journey back home, and Jesus stayed in Jerusalem, and they had to search for him for three days. And where did they find him when they finally, finally found him? He was in the temple, interacting with all the teachers, and he had more understanding than all his teachers and than all the elders because he had meditated on the word of God. And then when he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by Satan... And he went 40 days without food. What was it that strengthened Jesus? It was the fact that he believed man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he fed upon the word of God in that wilderness temptation. When he began his public ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth, what did they give to him? The scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened it up. And he read in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he, he found his messianic vocation and identity through the word of God. In his teaching, Jesus was so immersed in the scriptures that everyone was amazed at his authority. For he didn't teach as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one who was speaking the very words of God. And then at the pinnacle of his life... In the final week of his suffering, on the road into Jerusalem, in the upper room with his disciples, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and even on the cross where he was crucified, Jesus was literally bleeding out Scripture. So how did the Bible get into Jesus? How did he become such a Scripture-saturated man? This is where Isaiah 50 gives us a tender, intimate, unique look into the inner life of Jesus. This comes in a section of Isaiah where we find a series of passages about the servant of the Lord. And they're prophetic, they're looking forward to this servant who was to come. And the servant's identity becomes clearer and clearer with each passage. Maybe you've read Isaiah 52 and 53, and you know unmistakably in those passages, the servant of the Lord is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, this passage, Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11, is another one of those servant passages. And it's spoken in in the first person. The servant himself is speaking giving us a window into his own communion with God. He's letting us see into some of the most personal areas of his life. He wants us to overhear him, to listen in. He wants us to know what his morning devotions were like. He wants us to understand that he became the servant he was through a process of listening to God's word. This is the kind of passage that sends chills down my spine. To think what it was like for Jesus to walk with God, his Father, during his days on earth. So marvel with me as we listen in on the servant describing his own walk with the Lord in verses 4 through 11 of Isaiah 50. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us confront each other. Who has a case against me? Let him come near me. In truth, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment. A moth will devour them. Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him lean on his God. Look. All you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with torches, walk in the light of your fire and of the torches you have lit. This is what you'll get from my hand. You will lie down in a place of torment. This is God's holy word. I want to make a series of observations about what we can learn about how Jesus cultivated a life of listening to God's word from this passage. The first is this. The servant's life in the word is something that was given him from the sovereign Lord. That's our first point this morning. Let's put that up on the screen. God's sovereign initiative is driving this. God is using his sovereign power to do something in the life of his servant that will bring blessing to multitudes of people. What is it that God is doing? He's giving his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, we see it at the beginning of verse 4, the tongue of those who are instructed, or a well-instructed tongue. Jesus, the servant, is someone who is being taught by his Father. The Father in sovereign love is shaping his son, into the type of servant who will be able to speak his word to others. And there's an important inference here for us. There's only one kind of person who can teach for God, and that's the one who has been taught by God. Before God will use our tongues to instruct others, he must first instruct us. Because Jesus was instructed by his Father in how to speak and what to say, he is able to exercise an amazingly powerful and transformative spoken ministry in the lives of others, and they are being changed through it. And that brings us to our second observation this morning. Number two, there was a definite purpose for why God's servant was given this instructed tongue, and we see it in the middle of verse 4. He was given this instructed tongue so that he would know how to sustain the weary with the word. Now, get that. Jesus, God's servant, wasn't taught God's word so that he could learn how to browbeat us into submission. He wasn't taught God's word so that he could condemn sinners into shame or impress us with his intelligence, or even to merely enlighten our intellect. God the Father gave Jesus an instructed tongue so that he could know the word that sustains the weary. And that word for sustain is not found anywhere else in the Old Testament. It carries the sense of inclining towards someone to console them, to build them up, to respond to their needs. It has the idea of a shepherd caring for each sheep. It's about being gifted to speak a timely word in season. And the word weary means fainting under life's demands. Anyone feeling like that this morning? Fainting under life's demands. This is the kind of person we learned about last week in Patrick's sermon. When Jesus saw the crowds, they were fainting under life's demands. And how did Jesus respond to them? Well, not the way we respond when we see the crowds racing down I-90. Or when we see the crowds in downtown Chicago. Jesus wasn't frustrated With these crowds. He wasn't impatient toward them. He didn't feel overwhelmed by them. He wasn't looking down on them or wishing for a way to escape from them so that he could find a place of peace. No. Jesus felt a writhing, visceral, gut wrenching compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved toward them. And that's because his father was teaching in him. His father was cultivating in him the compassionate character of the good shepherd. We Patrick showed us last week how in Ezekiel chapter 34 God spoke of himself as the one who will come down and shepherd his people. And that's where Jesus was learning the compassion of his father toward the crowds. And I hope you know that that's how Jesus feels toward you today. You might come into church this morning feeling absolutely disgusted with yourself. You might feel like there's not a whole lot of hope left for you. You might think that no one has time for you, like you're unnoticed, uncared for, unworthy. But Jesus sees you. And Jesus isn't turning away. And Jesus isn't ignoring you. And Jesus isn't despising you. And He's not focused on someone else who's more important to Him than you. He sees you and He cares. He's not too busy for you. He is not eager to scold you this morning. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he is full of compassion for you. And he's not waiting until you get your act together. He's not checking to see how many quiet times you had this week to see if he's going to pay any attention to you today. At this very moment, Jesus' heart is melting with mercy towards you, he is drawing near to you because that's the kind of Savior he is. He's ready to meet you and minister to you right where you are. And here's how you will most frequently experience Jesus' compassionate ministry to you. It will most frequently come to you with a word. That's how Jesus sustains those who are fainting under life's demands. He sustains us with a word. That's how he brings his compassion to us. That's what he's like. Jesus is not just compassionate. He's competent. He knows how to sustain the weary with a word. I found that it takes a whole lot of bumbling and mistakes for most of us to know how to sustain weary people. We say a lot of silly things, Or we don't say anything at all. But Jesus knows how. How to sustain the weary with the word. If you're weary with sin and weary with life, Jesus has just the word you need to comfort you and to sustain you. I love how Ray Orland puts it. He says, a sustaining ministry, a gospel ministry, requires more thought, more study, more insight than a condemning ministry. A finger-pointing ministry is easy, and that's because moralism is the default setting of our minds. Just work harder, do better, you lousy losers. That's moralism. But it takes divine wisdom to understand God's grace in a new way so we can sustain weary people. And Jesus gave himself fully to that kind of ministry. And that leads to our third observation this morning. The sustaining gospel ministry of the servant did not happen automatically, there was a practice he cultivated. How did Jesus become such a compassionate man? such a powerful speaker of God's word, so that those who are the most beaten down, the most defeated, and the most weary and worn out by life's burdens and sin's failures, they weren't repelled by him. They weren't afraid of him. They were drawn toward him. How did that happen? Maybe you're thinking, well, it was automatic. After all, Jesus was the son of God. So wasn't his compassionate character kind of pre-installed in him at the incarnation, kind of like the system settings in your computer. You can't delete them. They're just part of the whole framework of the, the thing. Well, that's not how the Bible portrays the godly character that grew in Jesus' life. The Bible shows us there was a cultivation of godliness going on in the inner life of Jesus, He was growing in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and with man. He learned obedience through the things he suffered, and he depended on the Holy Spirit to fill him and to make him the servant of God that he was. Jesus was, in fact, the most spirit-filled human being who has ever walked the face of this earth. And he lets us know how this happened in this passage. Notice, first of all, that Jesus tells us about an experience that he had regularly in verse 4. Jesus said, he awakens me each morning. He awakens me. So in other words, Jesus didn't need an alarm clock. He didn't have his iPhone beside his bed. And that wasn't the first thing he saw each day. His father was taking the initiative to meet with his son. And you and I might need an alarm clock. I certainly do. But realize this any meeting that you have with God in His Word is preceded by God's initiative toward you. That means you're not the one who has to come up with a conversation, God is waiting to speak to you, He is eager for you to hear his voice. Notice also that Jesus tells us about the time and frequency of these meetings. He awakens me each morning, it says in the CSB, or morning by morning, we read in the ESV and the NIV. In other words, the time Jesus spent listening to his Father was consistent, it was daily, and it was the first priority of his day. Notice also that he, the servant, tells us about the objective of these meetings. He awakens my ear, it says at the end of verse 4, to do what? To listen. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Not by checking a box, did my Bible reading today, not by letting it go in one ear and out the other. And certainly not by listening to ourselves. That's why we have ears on the outside of our heads and not on the inside of our heads. We aren't meant to listen to ourselves and be controlled by our own thoughts or feelings. Our lives aren't meant to be lived on autopilot, guided by our own understanding. We are meant to have our thoughts and our feelings shaped by what flows into us, by what we listen to. We need daily guidance and instruction from the Lord. And Jesus' ears were constantly open to the inflow of God's blessed word. Are yours? Notice also the servant tells us about the characteristic Of those meetings at the end of verse 4, he awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. It's this is what discipleship is: it's putting yourself under a master and becoming a learner of him. And the intention of a disciple is to obey his instructor in everything he teaches him, no matter what it costs. One commentator says, there is nothing a disciple will not endure if obedience demands it. And then notice in verse 5 that the servant gives us a glimpse into the content of his discipleship. Have you ever had a time in God's word or in prayer that you just are never going to be able to forget? It's not always like that. Sometimes it's like the food we eat on a daily basis. We eat many meals that nourish us and and are good for us, but then we don't remember what we ate. I couldn't tell you every single meal I had this past week. But there are certain meals we have that are so wonderful We say, I'm never going to forget that. And it's like that sometimes when God speaks to you through his word. Sometimes God speaks in such a powerful, penetrating way, your life is altered by it. You are changed forever by it. Every day, morning by morning, God trained Jesus to speak to our deepest needs. But in verse 5, Jesus remembers one morning in particular. On that ear, the Lord God opened his ear, and he spoke something contrary to all his human desires. Son, said God the Father, I want you to drink the cup of wrath from my people. Son, it is my will to crush you and to put you to grief. It is my will for you to become the sacrificial lamb who will take away the sins of the world. You will suffer and you will die under the weight of the guilt of the sins of my people. Now, of course, you might be thinking Jesus was the son of God. He knew before he came into the world that he would have to die for our sins, and that is true. As the eternal son, he agreed in the covenant of grace to become the sacrifice for our sins. He knew before he ever came into the world as God's son why he was coming. But as a man, Jesus learned obedience. As a man, Jesus was taught his father's will for his life. The path that God set before him was unfolded morning by morning. And on one particular morning, God opened his ear and gave to Jesus the most awful assignment. It's not important for us to know when this happened. What we need to know is how it happened. The Lord God opened his ear to do what? To hear. To hear God's word. It was as Jesus poured over the scriptures as he read passages like Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53 that he was learning that he was the suffering servant. That this was what his father was calling him to do and to be. And we don't need to know when exactly that happened, but we do need to know and praise him forever for how he responded. He obeyed when the Father showed him his plan. Look again at verse 5 and 6. In the middle of verse 5, he says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. He chose the path of obedience. Even to the point of death on a cross, he gave his back to those who struck him and pulled out his beard. He faced his sufferings head on and walked into the crucible of the crucifixion with his eyes wide open. As one writer puts it, there was no place Jesus wouldn't go. Nothing he wouldn't do to care for weary people with the truth of God's grace here's what I want us to see very clearly this morning. God's suffering servant faced all of this through the strength he received from his daily encounters in God's presence, listening to God speak to him through his word. Jesus learned the will of God for his life through the words that God spoke to him daily. And in that word, God also gave him the confidence that he would not suffer alone, but that he would be vindicated. And we read about that in verses 7 through 9. And here's the point for us. We will have the same experience Jesus had when we listen carefully to God's word day by day. Namely, we will learn God's will for our lives. And as we learn God's will for our lives, we will discover that his will for us involves suffering hardship and persevering through difficulty and denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. And the converse is also true. Without a daily encounter in the word of God, We will default to our self centered desires. If God's word is not going in and reshaping the way we think about what it means to follow Jesus, it will be very natural for us to float through life taking the easy path, to resist self denial, to live by our own desires. We will shrink from the cost of discipleship, if we don't daily draw the strength we need from listening to God's word. So let's summarize what we've seen so far. Jesus was the most spirit-filled person who ever lived because he was the most scripture-saturated person who ever lived. And the Bible was not preloaded and installed in Jesus at his conception. He learned the word of God the way we do, As a disciple, his father awakened him morning by morning every day to listen, to be instructed. And it was through this rhythm of grace that our Savior became the compassionate, merciful, suffering servant who went all the way to the cross and didn't despise its shame for us and for our salvation. Do you want to know how to become like him? how to cultivate the heart of Christ and the character of Christ in your life, start where Jesus started. Every day, make it your priority to position yourself, to have your ears opened, to let God's word flow in you and through you, transforming you so that you can be a blessing to others. Alec Mateer summarizes what we've seen like this. It is the Lord who takes the initiative, rousing his servant for the morning fellowship. The word of God is central to it. The objective is to convey truth through the ear to the mind. And here's here's the gold. This is the essence of what it means to be a disciple. The morning watch is not a special provision for a unique servant. It is the standard curriculum for all who would be disciples. This is the standard curriculum taught by the master. Do you ever wish you could have a really godly person tell you how he or she does his quiet time every day? You're hearing from the best right now. You're hearing from the master himself. This is the standard curriculum. Now before I give you some practical pastoral suggestions on how to cultivate a rich life in the word, let me pause and appeal to each and every one of you personally because what Jesus is saying to us in this passage isn't just a suggestion for how to have daily devotions. It goes much deeper than this. There's an awful lot at stake here. This is about who or what is going to be the guiding light of your life. This is about on whom or on what are you leaning to get you through the darkness of this world. This is about whose counsel will you trust and treasure. Maybe you haven't thought much about that. Maybe you've been told that the most important person to listen to is yourself. We've all been told that. We all will be told that every day this week just through culture. Listen to yourself. Nothing matters than following your, more than following your own heart, charting your own course, letting the light within you guide you. But the Bible is speaking a radically different message to us today. And Jesus is showing us a much better way today. He's not only giving you himself as an example. He's offering himself to you as a savior. A savior from leaning on your own understanding and the torment that will follow if that's how you choose to live. He's beckoning you to come to the light, and he himself is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. He's saying, we are at a crossroads here, church. There's a response required of us here, and that crossroads is spelled out with stark clarity in verses 10 and 11. Look at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? That's a parallel thing there. If you fear the Lord, you will listen to his servant. Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? It's the way we often feel in this world, isn't it? There is a way to get through that darkness. That is to trust in the name of the Lord and lean on your God. And this is what the servant has shown us how to do it today. He's saying, who is going to shape your thoughts, your affections, your words, your decisions? Who is going to lead you and enlighten your path through the trials and the troubles you're facing? On whom will you lean to get you through your day when nothing in your life makes sense and darkness seems to be closing in? God's word will be a lamp to your feet. And a light to your path. And God's servant has shown you how to live in that light. His word has the power to calm your panicking heart. No matter how dark your path is, you will have more light following Jesus Christ and his word than you will by leaning on the brilliance of your own understanding. But verse 11 paints a stark alternative. If we don't learn to rely day by day on the word of God, where will we turn? Well, we'll light our own little torches. And the servant of God warns us that this is a path that leads to torment. Look, verse 11, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourself with torches... Walk in the light of your fire and of the torches you have lit. This is what you'll get from my hand. You will lie down in a place of torment. You see here, there are only two ways to live. Either you will be illuminated daily by the light of God's word, or you will crawl through the darkness with your own little torch, relying on your own insight your own understanding. Maybe that looks like medicating yourself with distractions where Instagram and Netflix become your daily diet instead of the word of God. And self-pity becomes your refuge instead of the hope that comes from persevering in the encouragement of the scriptures. And busyness becomes an addiction that makes it impossible for you to be still and listen and hear what God is saying. And the torches we light might last for a little while, but they cannot lead us through the darkest valleys we will face. And as one writer puts us, they will damn us if we depend on them. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's inviting us this morning to change directions. To repent from leaning on our own understanding. And to put our trust in the Lord And to follow him in the light of his word. And the unfolding of his words gives light. And it imparts understanding to the simple. What a better path that is. Would you choose that path? Would you say, oh Lord, I want to turn from the darkness of my own little torches And I want to walk in the light of your counsel this year. If that's your desire, if you want to follow Jesus and listen to the voice of the servant and walk in his example, if you've ever wondered how the holiest, most spirit-filled man who ever lived practices daily devotions, he's shown us today. And now the question is, how do we do it? So let me just end by giving you a few practical pastoral directions. Number one, Make it your top priority each day to hear from God. You will never regret it if God's voice is the first voice to influence you in the morning. You will often regret it if you neglect hearing from him and let other voices shape your thoughts and attitudes first. Second, rely on the grace of God to sustain you in this Your time in the Word is not initiated by you. You are being called. You are being awakened. You are being invited into fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is good news. This is life. Number three, don't just check a box. Make this a time of listening attentively. I prefer to read the Bible aloud as much as I can. Sometimes it's just quiet, mumbling, but I need to hear it as I read it. You might appreciate opening the YouVersion app and listening to the Bible as you have it open in front of you. Just don't let it go so fast that it's going in one ear and out the other. Or maybe when you drive or when you walk, you'll listen to the Word of God. Number four, taking God's Word... Not only for your own sake, but for the sake of all the people you will encounter in the day and in the week. For the sake of your loved ones, your neighbors, strangers. Because as you take in God's word, you will learn how to sustain the weary with a word. And God will use that to bring blessing to others. Number five, don't neglect any portion of scripture. All of it is profitable. It's one unified story. Scripture interprets Scripture, and we need to hear all of it in order to grow in our understanding of it. It doesn't matter if it takes you a year or two or three to go through all the Bible. Just make sure you're not avoiding any part of the Bible. A very useful plan I appreciate is the five-day Bible reading plan. You could just type that into Google, Five-day Bible reading plan. And you'll find a plan that takes you through the Bible in a year, but it only has readings for five days a week. And you can just do the New Testament one year and the Old Testament another if you want to do that. But it gives you some buffers. And that leads to number six. Some portions of the Bible need to be returned to more frequently. For me, the Psalms are a non-negotiable I wither without the psalms. My prayer life suffocates without the psalms. So I go to the psalms morning and evening, every day, most every day, going through the psalms each month. However you do it, make sure you're in the psalms. And then Proverbs. You can take a chapter of Proverbs a day. Some months I do that. Other times I'm just like, I need wisdom right now. What day is it? It's January 8th. I'm going to read Proverbs 8. I'm going to pray for wisdom but turn to that often, and then the four Gospels. That's what I love about the five-day Bible reading plan is it intersperses Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John throughout the year so that you never go long without encountering Jesus directly in the Gospels. Number seven, read some portions repeatedly to immerse yourself in books of the Bible so that you will be mastered by those books and transformed by them. For me this year, I'm going to read Galatians over and over and over again because I need to stand fast in the freedom whereby Christ has made us free. I want Galatians to transform me this year. And I'm also going to do that with First and Second Samuel because we're going to start a preaching series there in a couple of weeks. Finally, number eight, Decide what is most fitting and most needful for you right now. Don't let this become a straitjacket. If the plan you're in is starting to become just routine, mix it up. If you don't know what you should be reading right now, ask someone who loves you and cares for you, what do you think I need from God's Word? And let them tell you where they think you need to be changed and listen and turn to that part of the Bible. I want to close with something Charles Spurgeon said. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves. As I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the Word of the Lord not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. Then he holds up John Bunyan as an example. Read anything of his, and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text For his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. And so let us pray that we will, like Jesus, be women and men.